welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 New Living Translation Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, New Living Translation We know that suffering creates endurance. Endurance creates character. And character creates confidence. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, God's Word Translation Good morning. I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. As we had announced in a previous episode, we had planned to start a new series on Anchored by Truth to focus on one of the strongest lines of evidence for the Bible's inspiration, fulfilled prophecy. But, as important as that topic is, Given all that's going on in our community and nation right now, we thought it would be good to set that aside for a moment. We wanted to take some time to meditate on some of what the Bible says to us about how we as a nation, a community, and as individuals can achieve victory over this virus. Ardy, care to make some introductory comments? Absolutely. Well, as those listeners who were able to join us on our last couple of episodes of Anchored by Truth As they heard on those episodes, the first topic that we discussed in this Victory Over the Virus series was the assurance that we find in the Bible that the God, who is omnipotent, has promised us that He will never leave us or forsake us. And for anyone who wasn't able to join us, these episodes are now available by podcast through all major podcast apps. Great point. And on our second Victory Over the Virus episode, We talked about how we can cultivate personal qualities that we all need at times like this. Wisdom, strength, and contentment. Right. Just as a brief summary, wisdom starts by us acknowledging God for who He is and having a reverent respect for Him. But when we need more wisdom, we're promised that if we pray to receive it, that God will provide it. Strength comes from connecting personally to Jesus and finding our joy in Him. And contentment comes from trusting in Jesus in all circumstances and demonstrating the trust by expressing gratitude to Him, not gratitude for the difficulties, but gratitude for the sustaining grace He gives us in the middle of our difficulties. Well, today, to build on those observations that we have made earlier, first, that God is always with us, will never leave us or forsake us, and second, that God gives us what we need to build strength, wisdom, and contentment, 
To build on those observations, today we want to take a look at how we can be sure that, when the Bible was written, the Lord was just as concerned about us as he was for the original audience who first heard his word spoken to them. You know, it's one thing for us to read the Bible and even study it, but it's another thing to believe that the Bible is still speaking to us today, individually and personally. But the truth is that it is. The Bible still speaks to us, every individual who reads it. The Bible still speaks to those individuals with exactly the same force and meaning that it had for the very first person who ever heard those words. God had us in mind when he spoke through his prophets and representatives, even though he gave those revelations over 2,000 years ago. I sense this is another one of those cases where the news is going to be really, really good news. But it may be so good that it's going to be mind-bogglingly good. Literally. Oh well. Before we get going, just like last week, let's make this a double prayer episode. This time, since our government leaders are playing such a critical role in helping our nation and communities with this crisis, let's pray that they receive an extra big helping of wisdom and strength. A Prayer for Government Leaders God of glory and ruler of all men, thank you for the manifold blessings that you have bestowed upon our community and nation. We remember today that all good gifts come down only from the Father of Light, and that is you and you alone who have provided for our needs and hopes. Help us to never forget that you are sovereign and that we are completely dependent on your grace and mercy for that which sustains us and makes us fruitful. Lord, we pray that you would remember those who have been elected and appointed to serve as leaders of our communities, states, and nation especially as today we battle the COVID-19 virus. You have ordained that governments be established among men. It is your desire and command that governments provide for the defense of the weak and helpless and foster the common good. You desire all governments everywhere to pursue truth and justice in every action they take, for only honest and just servants are consistent with your holy character. Therefore, Today we pray that you would inspire our leaders to be just and honorable. We pray that you would remind them that they are accountable to you for their conduct while in office, and that they are accountable for the results of their actions, not merely the content of their intentions. We ask that you turn the hearts of all of our leaders to you and your calling, and cause them to look beyond their individual aspirations to the purposes that they are ordained by your will. We pray that you would grant them guidance and direction, that you would fill their hearts and minds with the wisdom that can only come from you. Show them how to help the sick and prevent injury and harm. We pray you would supernaturally bless their efforts to suppress the virus and its effects. We appreciate them, but we trust only in you. We pray that your Son would transform those who do not yet know him. We know that even those who do not know him are, nevertheless, always subject to your direction. Your word is sure. You turn the hearts of the kings as easily as you direct the course of the waters, and therefore we have confidence that all the times nations, governments, and men are fully subject to your irresistible power. Praise be to you, Holy Father, that our faith need not rest on the actions of any human leader, no matter how powerful 
for the greatest among men can never escape your providence and will. Thank you, blessed Lord, for your kindness and mercy. Glorify yourself in directing the ways of this nation and cause your name to be magnified on the earth. In Christ's holy name, we pray and give thanks. Amen. That's a great prayer, and I hope many people will either take it upon themselves to pray for their local and national government leaders, as well as continue to pray for the doctors, nurses, police, and first responders. I know you'd like to pray for specific leaders by name. How do you decide who to pray for? Well, I try to remember the admonition that's given to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2.1, where we are commanded, first of all, to pray for governing officials and those in authority. Now, you know, that's an interesting admonition or command because it's the only time in the Bible where we are told to play something first in our prayer life. So it does say in 1 Timothy 2.1 that we are first of all to pray for those governing officials and those in authority. So I try to keep that in mind. Well, naturally, when I pray for governing officials, I start with the names of the really well-known leaders like the president or the governor or speaker of the house or whoever it may be. But then I also try to pray for government leaders that come to my attention. Often if I see them on a news show or mentioned in an internet story or just someone mentions them to me in a conversation. So I try to remember to pray for people that God brings to my attention whenever he does so if I've already been commanded to pray for them as a general group. you got to remember that God is not only omnipotent and omniscient, that means he knows everything and has the power to do everything, but he is also omnipresent. So he's everywhere, at all times, in all situations. So God can bring to our attention the officials that he wants us to pray for, if we are open to his leading. And that's the key. We have to be open to the leading of the Lord when we conduct an active prayer life. As somebody once said, the only ability of ours that God really needs is our availability. And that is another one of those concepts that can quickly give you headaches. God can and does inspire the prayers in our hearts and minds that He wants us to pray. And then He turns around and responds to those prayers. Like I say, head-spinning stuff. Well, someday I want to do a show or two or maybe more just on prayer. But for today, that observation that God actually helps us, leads us, inspires us in our prayers, and then he turns around and responds to those prayers, that's a great lead-in for one of the main points that I want to discuss in today's episode. The Bible is a marvelous, wonderful book. It's completely unique among all the world's books because its source, the origin for the Bible, is God himself. Now let's think about that for just a second. The first thing that the Bible tells us is that God spoke the universe into existence. God used his words to create the heavens and the earth. Well, that's just an idiomatic way of saying that God used his words to create everything. Think then of the power that's present in God's words. That's part of what's doing the mind-boggling and head-spinning. God used his words to bring 50 million plus galaxies into existence, and each of those galaxies contains 50 to 100 billion stars. Exactly. So God used his words to bring those galaxies into existence. Well, God uses his words to bring his special revelation, the Bible, to us. 
So God doesn't have any less power when he spoke his words through the revelation that's in the Bible to us than he did when he created that 50 to 100 billion galaxies. So when we read the Bible, we are seeing the direct line of communication that the omnipotent creator who created everything, we're seeing the words that that omnipotent creator chose to bring directly to us. And that's the point. God didn't just give his revelation to the first audience that heard him say those words. He gave it to every single one of us who, as Romans 8.28 says, love him and are called according to his purpose. So again, let's meditate on that for just a second and then take that to his logical conclusion. When God first gave his revelation, let's say to Moses, for instance, at the time that God spoke to Moses, giving him the Ten Commandments, for instance, God still knew at that time that one day, in the fullness of time, you or me or anyone in the Anchored by Truth audience or anyone around the world would read those words. So when God spoke to Moses, God had us just as much in mind as he did when he gave the words directly to Moses. And to me, that's what makes the Bible and its promises and its reassurances so powerful when we face times of trial and testing like today. God had us in mind when he spoke those promises that he did to the original audience. God was just as concerned about us as he was to Joshua or Moses or Samuel or David or any of the great people we know about in the Bible. That can be so hard to understand, much less absorb. Absorbing all of this can be really overwhelming. God gave us his word, his revelation, to dozens of people over a period of 1,500 years. But you're saying that each and every time he did that, he was fully aware that one day you and I would be turning to that revelation in our own time of need? That's such an amazing thought. And when you think that God wanted to reassure us just as much as he did Joshua, that really starts to make your knees buckle. Well, when our knees are buckling... The easiest thing to do is drop down and pray on them. It's so easy to let ourselves drift into thinking that the Bible is a historical book because it contains so much history. And indeed, the Bible's historical reliability that we've often discussed on Anchored by Truth is one of the strongest lines of evidence that the Bible has a supernatural origin. But the Bible isn't just a historical book. It's God's special revelation that he gave to his children that he intended to serve all of his children, all of his people, regardless of where they live or when they live. That's a very important point. As we've been discussing in the last few episodes, the Bible contains a lot of reassuring promises that those promises will hold far less meaning or comfort if we don't believe that God really did intend for them to apply to us. But the good news is that he really did intend for them to apply to us. In fact, God knew they would apply to us, if we let them, because he already knew about us when he uttered his first revelation, regardless of where on the human calendar that fell. Exactly. Remember that Ephesians 1.4 says that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Well, I think that sometimes we take those kinds of observations, poetically or allegorically, rather than literally. Well, of course the Bible contains poetry and allegory, but plain, factual statements like that should be taken as that, plain and factual. That's so hard to wrap your head around. God knew about us. 
knew about the virus before he ever spoke the universe into existence. And from the moment he began giving his revelation, he knew that someday some of us would be turning to it, looking for hope and help and strength. Yes, and that's the big reason that we labor so hard on Anchored by Truth to help people understand one basic truth. The Bible is trustworthy. After all, how can a promise like that of Isaiah 41.10, the second of our opening scriptures, yes, how can a promise like we find in Isaiah 41.10, as comforting as it is, be of any value to someone who, first of all, doesn't know about the promise, or second, knows about it, but just believes that promise is a part of a collection of myth or fairy tale, or third, knows about the promise and believes it's true but does not believe that it was intended for them. It can't. And that's a terrible thing because it means when people confront trials like dealing with the virus, their sources for help and comfort shrink dramatically. I mean, we all have friends. I mean, at least I hope everyone does. But even if we have lots of human friends, we know that ultimately all of them are just like us, finite, and in many ways frail and fully capable of failure. But God is none of these things. He's not limited, he's not frail, and he's definitely not capable of failure. So, when he says that we don't need to be afraid because he promises to be with us, we can trust that promise. Even better, according to Isaiah 41.10, he promises to not only be with us, but strengthen us and help us and uphold us with his victorious right hand. And since God is omnipotent, he cannot fail when he makes a pledge to his people. That's what makes his reassurances so comforting during difficult times. We can and will fail, but God will not. Even beyond knowing that he is with us and that he upholds us at the worst of times, he has made another promise to us. And that is that the trials and tribulations that we endure ultimately increase the confidence that we have in him, in the Lord. You're thinking of our third scripture today, which comes from Romans where the Apostle Paul told us that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces confidence. So what you're getting to is that Christians never need to struggle or suffer without reaping benefits. Right. Without wanting to be too graphic about it, there is something that is worse than suffering, and that is suffering that brings no hope or benefit to either ourselves or others. Well, if we don't know that there is an almighty, everlasting, and eternal God who is vitally concerned with our lives and futures, there is no sound intellectual basis for retaining hope in the midst of trials. After all, if all life resulted from the random collision of molecules in some warm little pond somewhere, what difference would it make whether some random collection of those molecules down the road experienced discomfort? So, what difference would it make today whether the virus wins or we do? Wow, that's a pretty stark distinction, isn't it? Yes, but that situation changes instantly when we recognize that the random collision theory falls apart in the face of a focused look at the evidence. Scientific evidence, as we demonstrated in our Truth in Genesis series, supports the biblical account of creation. And we can move on from there to demonstrate that the entire Bible can be supported as an authentic revelation of a supernatural God. And from that revelation, we learn that God is both transcendent and imminent. 
And both of those qualities are exceedingly important to us in times of struggle like this. God's transcendence means that he is not subject to the limits or boundaries of his own creation. He is outside, over and above, if you will, of all the creation's limits, including time. So because God is outside time, he knew from before the foundation of the earth exactly what would be going on at this time in history and even in our lives individually. So when we say that God had us in mind when he gave the promises to the Bible writers, we know that that is a statement that is grounded in the ultimate characteristics of God himself. Exactly. And God's imminence, his ability to be present within his creation at any place and at any time, means that he is not just some distant deity who set everything in motion, but now just kind of watches from afar to see how it all turns out. God is present with us. That's what one of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, means. God with us. So we can rely on the fact that God's transcendence guarantees that he can provide for us, protect us, and uphold us because all of creation, including viruses, is subject to his sovereignty. But his eminence guarantees us that he is never indifferent to the experiences that we are having at any particular moment. Some commentators have counted at least 365 times in the Bible, like those in Joshua, where God tells his people not to be afraid or to have courage. So there's one for every day of the year. Well, obviously, if God put encouragement in that many places within his revelation, it's because he knew his people would need it. Once again, that shows that God really does want to encourage his people, even in the difficult times. I would never want to minimize the trouble that we experience, especially at times like this. Suffering and struggle are real. It's foolish to pretend that they aren't, or to try to gloss over them with simple platitudes. Such as? Well, I don't want to mention any specific ones, but I think we all have well-meaning friends who sometimes try to comfort people but they do so in a way that is almost dismissive of the real pain that those people are experiencing. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but to weep with those who are weeping. Jesus even wept. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. Pain and heartache are real. But just as it is foolish to dismiss the reality of pain and suffering, it is equally or more foolish to dismiss Jesus' willingness to be, as Psalm 46.1 puts it, a very present help in our times of trouble. At times like this, we really need to meditate on the promises that the Bible has made and seek to draw the strength from those promises in our daily experiences. So if it's foolish to gloss over the reality of pain and suffering, it's equally foolish to gloss over the help and the strength that God wants to give us through our relationship with Jesus and through His Word. In short, this is a time for us to run to the foot of the cross and to begin to build a deeper relationship with Jesus. Well, I don't want to be too mystical about it, but this will probably be a Lenten period like none we've ever experienced. I like the sign that I saw in one church that said, I hadn't planned to give up quite this much for Lent. Well, I think that's a great sign. It recognizes the reality of what's going on, but it turns our eyes upward to the approaching dawn of Easter. I don't know if all of our current struggles will be over by Easter, but I do know that even if they're not, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't rise on that day. 
Jesus rose out of the grave, and when he did, he made it possible for anyone who places their trust in Jesus for all of us to rise with him. Our ultimate hope is what Jesus did and not what happens in this life. Those who place their trust in what happened on Easter morning will experience an ultimate victory that cannot be denied and that will never, never, never end. Our hope is in Jesus. We have the assurance of glory. We will have victory. Victory through Jesus. I like that message. Jesus gained the victory over death by his perfect life, and he didn't just obtain a victory for himself. He gained it for all of us. This has been a tough Lent, no doubt about it. But even in the midst of the difficulties, Jesus has given us his promise that he is with us and that he will sustain us. And someday, he will bring us to the Father's side to enjoy an eternal feast that will have no end. It's like you said, if you suffer with no hope, that's real suffering. But if we have to suffer, we have the guarantee of eternal glory we can bear up and continue to press forward to the high calling of what we have in Jesus. Sounds like a great time for a prayer. Since Easter Sunday is this Sunday, today let's celebrate all that our Savior accomplished for us when he sovereignly cast off the wrappings in the tomb and walked out surrounded by clouds of angelic witnesses. A Prayer for Easter Celebration Royal and just Father, you are the author of grace. You are the one who saw man's dilemma before the tempter first came and who pronounced salvation's plan as soon as the fall was named. You are the God of perfect justice and unmerited mercy. You are the Father of our risen Lord. Today, O God, we celebrate that rising. Your angels were in the garden that morning before Mary and the other women approached the tomb. Well, they should have been, because Christ is their Lord as well as ours. The angels had announced his birth and been forced to stand by as weak and sinful men stole his life. Surely it was right and just for them to be the first to see that he had indeed conquered death. Because the angels were the first to see redemption come full circle, they were then fully equipped to report the good news to those who loved Christ most and grieved so much. The women and the disciples then were the first of Adam's race to behold the circle's completion. In so doing, they formed the pattern for all who would follow. Yet today, every child of yours must grieve for their own sin and must realize that justly the wages of sin is death. Only when they have done so can the good news of Christ's resurrection produce spiritual life in them. For all who do, like their Savior, this life can never again be taken from them. How perfect then was your plan, and how perfect its execution. Man fell, but you pronounced redemption. The angels eagerly watched and waited till all was in readiness. The Savior came into the world, and in perfect obedience, completed the work man had failed to do. Your justice was satisfied, 
and your grace became manifest to the angels in the lives of the rebels. At Pentecost and today, your Spirit seals your people as the final days of your eternal plan are irresistibly brought to completion. Today, we celebrate not just the day of Christ rising, but the entirety of a plan that keeps us in awe as we contemplate its scope and purpose. We are saved. The irrefutable evidence that we are saved is that our Savior is risen and today reigns at your right hand. Let our meals and celebration today remind us of the wedding feast of the Lamb that will one day be ours. We cannot magnify Christ too much, but as we have breath and life, we will continue to praise Him and glorify you. Christ taught us to pray, and we count it the greatest of blessings that we can do so in His glorious name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.